Good morning, CFC Crossing Hayward family. My name is Lita, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Shout out to Pastor Josh and your leadership, and thank you for having me back after uh, this crazy year that was 2020, and now that we're in a new year, hopefully a better year, we can uh, continue to um, trust in God and what He's doing in our lives. So, uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Lita, and I'm a church planner here in Fremont, uh, just south of you guys. And uh, my wife and I, and along with our little one-year-old son, um, has been planting here and chugging along and sowing seeds uh, for the past couple of years. And um, it is privilege privilege of mine to share God's word with you today. So, it is bachelor season. And if you know me, or um, unfortunately, if you do know me, then you know it's it's going to happen in a, in a sermon every season. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a bachelor reference somehow, somewhere. So uh, you know, I've been watching this season with Matt James. Uh, shout out to the first brother that is in the Bachelor. How exciting is that? Uh, a bunch of women that sit around and wonder if Matt loves them. Um, and it's just the best entertainment. It's just the best, most pure form of just a hor horrific and horrible entertainment, like junk food, pure junk food I love. Uh, just watching them completely melt down one at a time, wondering if Matt loves them, wondering if they get the rose, wondering if they'll be picked next for that one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I'm going to just leave you hanging there with that. Before I tell you why I said that, and I'll share with you at the end what that has anything to do with what we're talking about today. So we're going to talk about Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 15, and uh, I'll read the passage for you, and it's the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan. Um, it goes like this, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing for during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Then Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give you all the glory, authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And they took him to Jerusalem. Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem. And here's what we're going to focus our time on. Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, Listen carefully. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Everybody say test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we're going to focus on just the third temptation today out of the three. Really quickly, Satan is, and um, Tim Keller does a great teaching on, on the works of Satan, um, just as there is a supernatural, personal, intelligent force of good, Jesus, there is also a supernatural, intelligent force of evil, that is Satan. 
And um, what Satan does, this illustration is great. He's like a lizard. You know, he'll make himself really big and try to scare you, or he'll play dead and try to convince you he doesn't even exist. And all your problems are stuff of other people that created or the world or situation and that he's not really a threat. So you stop praying. So how did Jesus respond to this third temptation? Because I think the way Jesus responds to this temptation shows us really the, the essence of what Satan was trying to tempt him by taking him up to the top of the temple, throw yourself down, have the angels save you. Uh, he, he brings him to the height of the temple, what Satan does. And he says, the angels will catch you. God said that. And, and the way Jesus responds to this temptation is really interesting. He says, don't test God. And he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 right here when he says, don't test God. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Let's go back to Exodus 17. The Israelites had just left Egypt and were stuck in the wilderness. So they started arguing with Moses about being thirsty. Why'd you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Well, I spit a lot there. In response, Moses hits a rock, and God supernaturally brings about water from the rock. And in verse 7, Moses called, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, Moses called the name, he called the place Massa, means test, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, when Jesus told Satan, don't test God, he was quoting this story. He was referring to the Israelites testing God in the wilderness. Is God gonna kill us with thirst in this place? And Jesus saying to Satan, don't test God. This is what his response was to Satan. And Satan was, took him again, took him to the top of the temple, the pinnacle, the highest height, and said, jump off, test God to see if he will catch you with his angels and Jesus says don't test him but he really he's referring to the story in Exodus chapter 17 and that will become important in a little bit but we have to reconcile that with Malachi in Malachi 310 it says we should test God it's kind of weird bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this again test says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. So why does Jesus say don't test God and refers to this whole story in Exodus 17? Well, in Malachi in chapter 3, it says test God. Kind of strange. Well, there's two types of testing at least. There's a kind of testing and a questioning of God that is healthy. And there's a kind of testing that is toxic. When the Israelites complained about water in the Old Testament, when they're stuck in the wilderness, they were doubting God's goodness and power. So when God says, test me and bring your tithes, it requires faith to believe that he'll deliver. The difference between toxic testing of God and healthy testing of God is faith. The Israelites testing God in the wilderness was a questioning with no faith. Where's the water? We're all going to die. This is the way testing that assumes the worst of God. That assumes you don't, you're not in control. You don't exist, God. You just brought out here, us out here to die of thirst. You're not good. Whereas the testing in Malachi shows that there's a questioning with faith. 
There's plenty of water. Here, God, have my water. Now stretch it and make it feed many. Here's my fan finances. Show me your faithfulness. Here's my life. Show me how to live. Test God in that way. Toxic testing is, it says, are you even real? Show me. Healthy testing says, even now you are real. Show me. Toxic testing is a heart of doubt and leads to disobedience, hoarding, blame, apathy, and self-absorption. Healthy testing is a heart of faith that, listen to this, leads to obedience, leads to generosity, and leads to risk-taking. We see examples of toxic testing in Job. When Job was going through his calamities, in Job chapter 2, Job's wife said, curse God and die. In Job chapter 4, 8, and 11, his friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar blamed Job for his secret sin. In Job 42, when God finally shows up, God says to Job, I'm angry with your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me. You better pray for your friends because they screwed up. Toxic testing is insecure. It's insecure of God. It assumes the worst of God. It assumes the worst of people. It's cynical and spiteful of God. And it sees God in a spiteful and really kind of this dark light. It causes fight, flight, and freeze in us. Healthy testing is secure, assumes the best of people and God in situations, and it clings on to God's goodness because we trust that even in conflict, God is working for good. Healthy testing is risk-taking. It's saying, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you my money. I'm going to give you my calendar and my resources. I'm giving you my relationships. Now come through for me. Show me. Like in Malachi, I'm going to test you, God. I'm going to give so much and see if you want to throw open the floodgates of heaven. When Satan tempted Jesus, Satan was tempting Jesus with toxic testing to doubt God's goodness and power. Satan took Jesus a few hundred feet up from the ground to the highest point of the temple and he told him, jump down. Didn't God say he will send his angels to guard you? And Jesus' response was, don't test God. In other words, I already believe the angels have my back. This is the same Jesus with the same kind of faith that later in the garden when he was being ambushed, told Peter, don't you think I can call on 72,000 angels to be at my disposal? He knew and had full confidence and faith in his dad in heaven. Family, the question I have for us today is what way might you be testing God? Do we test God in a toxic way? Do we constantly complain about our situation? or doubt God's ability to work it for our good? Do we anesthetize our anxiety with substances, screen time, and busyness? Do we blame ourselves or others, like in Job, for the pain, instead of exploring that wound and finding a healing journey in the pain? Do we withdraw from people and the church and doubt God's love is manifested through his body? Or do we test God in healthy ways? Do we live with generosity and say, God, I'm going to test you with my finances? Do we live with vulnerability 
and authenticity to God's people? Do we say, God, in your word it says to love one another, so I'm going to do it even though I'm hurt. I'm going to chalk it to the game. I'm going to keep loving on people, and I'm, going to, I'm definitely going to set up some boundaries. I'm not going to just put myself and be exposed and hurt all the time, but I'm going to continue to test you to show me that you're good even in the messiness of relationships. Do we test God with our boldness and our witness? And do we say, oh, do we rest and, and have faith in Matthew 28 that says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we test Him in that way as we preach the gospel to our neighbors, our family, friends, and coworkers? Do we test God in a healthy way with our attitude in the storm that trusts with bold confidence that we are surrounded by His angels? even when it feels like we're sinking. When I wanted to plant a church a couple years ago when I was first starting to get this idea and telling my staff when I was an associate pastor of a bigger church, uh, I told them, um, and they gave me 30 days. They saw me as a, they saw this as a threat and I was dropped in, in a, an instant. And it was very sudden. It was a shock to my system. It was, it was, it felt like I was being hit by a train. And I came home and I, I just felt like the wind was just knocked out of me. And I was about to complain to God. I was about to just question Him and about to test Him in doubt and denial. Like, why are you letting this happen to me? This is horrible. You're not even in this. This can't be of you. This, is, this, this isn't how churches are supposed to be planted. God, you got this all wrong. And I opened my Bible. That same moment that I walked home with that letter that gave me 30 days and I opened my Bible and I, and I hit Proverbs 3.25 and it said, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, for the Lord is your confidence. Right before I was about to curse a storm at God, He calmed my anxious soul. He said, Don't be afraid of sudden terror. I'm your confidence. I'm here in the midst of this pain. Then a few weeks later, as I was prepping fundraising for a new church, which you can imagine in the Bay Area is insane to fundraise for. I originally put my goal, because I've never fundraised a day in my life before, at $20,000. <laughs> I laughed because I was talking to my mentor and I was praying and he was, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, let's just test God, why not? And I changed that 20000 and right before like one of my first pitch meetings or vision cast meetings to like $150,000. I was like, yeah, right, no, we'll see about that. And lo and behold, after knocking on many doors, after many phone calls, many no's, uh, God came through and provided $150,000 in our fundraising in the first few months of our church planting life. He came through for us. <laughs> Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And he continues to provide for us, my family, today in the tough Bay Area soil. The gospel reflection for this story is pretty incredible. I want you to listen carefully when I say this. The entire temptation sequence of Jesus is a mirror of the Israelite wilderness experience. Both stories of Jesus and the Old Testament Israelites occur in the wilderness. Both are led by the Spirit, are about obedience, testing, and maturity. And both share elements of hunger and bread in the number 40, which represents a maturation process, a disciplinary matur maturing phase, 40 days and 40 years. 
all of all three of Jesus' temptations in Luke were exactly what the Israelites faced in the wilderness. Jesus passed the first temptation. He was tempted to force stone into bread, while the Israel and he passed that. But the Israelites failed as they hoarded manna in the wilderness. Jesus passed the second temptation of of worshiping Satan for for all the power and glory, while the Israelites failed as they worship the golden calf. And here we see Jesus passing the third temptation to test and doubt God. He did not, what am I, Yoda? While the Israelites failed by doubting God's provision as they complained about thirst. Here's what is actually one of the most important parts of this temptation sequence. The Israelites failed again and again and again. And you and I are humans and we are gonna do the same. This temptation sequence is ultimately about how humanity always fails. There's no ladder you can climb into heaven, like with all other religions of the world, Buddhism, Islam, the post-modernity, cherry-pick your religion so you can be a good enough person. This temptation sequence is ultimately about the failure of humanity to reach the divine and the success of Jesus that gives us his righteousness. That's the essence of the gospel. It's Jesus who came to earth, who was God, and disrobed himself of his divinity, took on the sins of man, all the ways we failed, and all the ways we have shortcoming in our lives, and all the ways we worship idols above God, and he died in our place. He gives us his righteousness so that we could have eternal life. You know, there's a story of a soldier that was climbing a mountain with these 50-pound ruck packs, and they have a troop of these soldiers, a group of them, and he starts to get winded and lose his breath. Then the soldier next to him, he grabs his 50-pound ruck pack, puts it on his own, so now he's got two, he's got 100 pounds on his back, and he walks all the way to the top of the mountain. When they get to the top, right before they hit the instructor that sees them both, he gives the pack back to the soldier that lost energy and says, here, take it back and be seen amongst all of us. Be seen with the lieutenant. Be seen and have the glory that I earned for you. The essence of the gospel is this. Jesus passed every test in this temptation sequence and he did it for you. Every other religion says you live a righteous life and you give that to God, but the gospel says Jesus lives a righteous life and he gives it to you. Every other religion says, you pass the test. You be a good person. Show God your report card. While Jesus says, I'll pass the test and I'll give you my report card. And that's, that's what the gospel is. It's you are more sinful than you ever want to know or ever want to admit. But you are more saved, healed, and freed and given love and security more than you ever will know. This temptation, I'll read it again. And he took him, Satan took Jesus to the Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And Jesus answered him, It said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I think so many of us test God. We complain, we bicker, we blame, we withdraw. We do all that because we so easily forget that he loves us. We so easily forget that the gospel has given us his righteousness and that he is here with us, that he is our confidence. 
There's this movie uh, called Inception you probably saw about 10 so years ago. And at the end scene, and I, I don't want to get into all the details of what the movie was about. There's so much nuance and backstory. But there's just one scene that I want to highlight for you. It's the, one of the end scenes where the dad is on his deathbed. And he's on his deathbed. And his son walks in. And his son, feeling bad, says, I know you're disappointed. I couldn't be you. And then the dad mumbles, mumbles, no, 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 no. And the son leans closer and the dad says, no, 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 I, I was disappointed that you tried. Because his dad was a huge, huge energy uh, conglomerate mogul um, and he owned, uh, his life was owned by the company and, and his dad was saying to his son, no, 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 I, I actually, I'm not disappointed that, that you couldn't be me. I was disappointed that you tried to be me to give your life to this silly thing of work. And then his dad points to this safe next to him. And so the son goes to the safe and he opens it. And in it he finds the dad's will. And below it he finds dad this, this pinwheel. And he picks up this pinwheel and he starts to cry and sob. And it's because that pinwheel represented all the ways in the past that he thought his dad didn't love him but that pinwheel was his favorite toy and it represented the love his dad had for him as it was in the safe that right next to the wheel that his dad held on to you know i think and he starts and he cries and he's just crying 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 realizing that he's had it wrong the whole time thinking that he was just his dad was disappointed in him thinking that uh, he didn't care about him but after discovering the pinwheel uh, after hearing his dad's words in his last moments, he realized, I had it all wrong. You loved me. Family, I think we'll get to the other side of heaven one day. and I think we'll open our safe, proverbially, and we'll find that pinwheel that God loved us the entire time. That God was with us the entire time. That God is with you in your living room right now, in your bedroom, around your kitchen table, as you're walking around the park. God is with you, even in your darkest of days. He's never left you. There's no sudden terror with God, for He is your confidence. God is here, even in death, even in pandemic, even in quarantine, isolation, loneliness and fear, even in financial strain and relationship brokenness. And family, if we can have that perspective that we can look back and say, wow, you, you loved us the entire time, that can change the way we test God. You see, like the bachelor women who constantly question are constantly insecure about Matt's love for them. If we have this perspective, we don't have to be like these whiny little people that just wonder and complain and melt down <laughs> about how this guy does or does not love us. But we can have the security of the gospel knowing that Jesus already proved to us that he does. I have a mentor that shared with me how he planted this, the country's largest Presbyterian church, 7,000 people, and he was looking back at his old days of journaling, and he found he was so whiny in his journals, so complainy in his journals. He said, you know, if I just knew what I knew today as a retired person, I wouldn't complain so much. I'd have confidence that God's got my back. Family, I'll leave you with this. What is the toxic testing that you're doing that's time for you to stop? What's the toxic 
testing of God, of complaining, of doubting, of blaming, of withdrawing? What's a toxic testing that shows doubt and lack of confidence of God? And on the reverse side, what is the healthy testing God is asking you to do based off of the truth and security of the cross and the gospel? What's the healthy testing God is asking you to do with your finances, with your time, with your preaching of the gospel amongst your neighbors and your coworkers, family and friends? In what ways is God inviting you to test him in a loving, beautiful, faithful way to show the world he is good and for him to show you that he is enough? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the gospel and the truth of your righteousness given to us and how you passed every test that because of that we have your confidence while we were still sinners you died for us and that you are with us so lord i pray that in light of that we would test you with boldness not in a whiny bachelor woman kind of way that doubts and is insecure and always hoarding and always hiding but god a testing that is risk-taking bold testing that is preaching the gospel, a testing that is proclaiming the good news, a testing that is trusting and secure of your love, even in our darkest of days. Father, let this be our truth today. Let the gospel and the security of the cross, security of what you've already done for us on our behalf, sink into our realities, Lord, for your glory and our joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.